people systematically were more willing to reveal confidential or sensitive information to a virtual human than to a real person. 21st century skills, critical thinking, problem solving, creativity, teamwork, collaboration, leadership, initiative, oral and written communications. You know, those are skills that the Army has been teaching for all of its history. Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sanisbert of the Mad Scientist team, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we're talking with Dr. Keith Brauner, Program Manager of the University of Southern California's Institute for Creative Technologies, and Dr. Bill Swartout, Chief Technology Officer for USC ICT. We'll be talking with them about the newly formed Center for Generative AI and Society, Virtual Humans and Digital Doubles for All Soldiers, and the Future of AI and Training. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Glad to be here. So thank you both for coming on the show today. And before we get started, why don't you both tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got to where you are today in your careers? So I'm uh, Bill Swartout. I am the Chief Technology Officer at the USC Institute for Creative Technologies, which is a Army-sponsored UARC. And I'm also on the faculty in computer science as a research professor here at USC and just recently was named co-director of the new Center for uh, Generative AI and Society that USC has started up. I have to say I've been fascinated by AI throughout my career and originally got started programming computers back in high school and thought, you know, at the time, wouldn't it be great if you could type something to a computer and it would type something back to you that would make sense and be engaging. So I've really been pursuing the idea of how can we make computers more intelligent and more useful. I started at the Naval Air Warfare Center Training Systems Division. And so they're the acquiring command for training across the Navy. And I was working in surface warfare and sub hunting and hovercraft piloting and bridge operation and those types of items as a programmer, later as a systems engineer, before I got bit by the research bug, so to speak, and went over to Army Research Laboratory at the Sergeant First Class Paul Ray Smith Simulation and Training Technology Center, where I got a PhD in affective signal processing for training applications and helped build the generalized intelligent framework for tutoring that's now being moved into the synthetic training environment with uh, Dr. Ben Goldberg. STTC was moved under Soldier Center, and Soldier Center manages the Institute for Creative Technologies University Affiliated Research Center in Los Angeles, California. So I do that from Orlando, Florida, which is the modeling and simulation center of the world. That's great. It's great to have both of you on the show today, and it's great to have uh, even some affiliated DevCom folks uh, on the show. We're always we're always happy to have DevCom in the house. 
So we, we talked about USC ICT and, and uh, uh, Bill mentioned the Center for Generative AI and Society. So talk to us about both of those organizations. What are their respective missions and how do they work within the Army framework as well as with the university? So the Institute for Creative Technologies was started up back in 1999. And back then, video games were getting to be really quite good and the DOD had made note of this and said, in some ways, you know, these simulations that we see with uh, video games are better than the simulations that we in the military spend millions of dollars on every year. Would there be something to be gained by getting a closer connection with uh, the entertainment industry and the DOD? And so they did a study with the National Research Council and basically they said, yes, this would be a good idea. And so the ICT was set up really to serve as a neutral meeting ground, bringing together people working at the cutting edge of AI, computer graphics, virtual reality, uh, augmented reality, and the learning sciences to work alongside people from the entertainment industry, people who know how to create stories that are engaging and characters that are compelling, to create the next generation of systems for training and education. And uh, ultimately, that was expanded to also include systems for health and performance. The Center for Generative AI and Society, uh, by comparison, is much newer. It's only uh, been in existence for a few months. But the goal there is really to understand better the impact that generative AI and related fields are having on society, and then in more detail, figure out for particular areas how we can best make use of this new technology that has emerged and use it for good. So in the area that I'm involved with in the new center, uh, it's focused on generative AI and education. And uh, as you know, in the popular press, there have been a lot of stories recently saying that, you know, this is going to mean the end of the term paper as we know it and all sorts of alarmist things. And there are people who think that um, generative AI should not be used in an academic setting, uh, and we should try to detect it and discourage its use whenever possible. We think that's a very short-sighted view, that uh, the role of education is really to prepare people for the world they're going to be entering into, and that world is going to have generative AI in it, whether we like it or not. So we really have to figure out how to use it creatively to engage people in education. And just like with the calculator back in the 70s when calculators became cheap, mathematics education had to change because the usual sort of just doing arithmetic by hand wasn't so much a thing anymore. So mathematics education changed and now there's a time when you do still learn your mathematics tables. But when you get in the upper grades, you use a calculator because it frees you from that drudgery and allows you to focus on the higher level concepts that they're really trying to convey in the upper grades. So by the same token, we think generative AI will cause education to change to accommodate it. And one of the things we're doing is looking at taking surveys of how people are using generative AI in their classes, what seem to be the emerging best practices. We're gonna be publishing reports on that. Another thing we're doing is putting together a framework for encouraging critical thinking using generative AI. 
It's called the Authoring by Editing Framework or the Abe Framework. And the idea is a student will get a initial assignment. He'll use generative AI to produce the first draft of the document, but they're not done that. What they have to do is look at it and ask questions. Are the facts right? Does the argument structure make sense? Is there another argument that we need to consider? And they make edits to the document. Those edits get tracked by the framework and categorized. And those edits are what's actually reported back to the instructor to form the evaluation for that particular assignment. So what's happening is a couple of things. One is we're really trying to encourage critical thinking on the part of the student. Look at what you're reading, ask questions, consider whether these facts are right, whether this is the best argument and so forth. And the other thing that we're doing is we're shifting from grading based on an artifact, the essay that you produce, to grading based on a process. And uh, in other words, the various edits that you've made. And that is much more resistant to cheating, which is one of the big concerns that people have raised about generative AI. I should also say the, uh, the new center is actually not formally part of the Army. It's not funded by the Army. It's funded internally at USC. But we are going to be using some of the results that are coming out of it in some of the Army-related work that we're doing. Uh, the Institute for Creative Technologies is a university-affiliated research center. And the Honorable Ms. Heidi Hsu sets up UARCs from the Undersecretary of Defense Research and Engineering Office. They delegate authorities to the, the various component services, Army, Navy, Air Force, et cetera. Uh, so for us, this means it's the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Acquisitions, Logistics, and Technology. Um, they, they delegate it further down into uh, DEVCOM Soldier Center as the tasking authority. So Mr. Tamilio is the executive agent in, in charge of the ICT, you know, delegated all the way down to me, of course. Aha. Um, so Mr. Tamilio represents DEVCOM Soldier Center with innovative science and technology solutions to optimize the performance of soldiers in a variety of ways uh, to ensure dominance through superior scientific and engineering expertise. You know, they're the quote unquote science behind the soldier. And as part of Army Futures Command, we, we have the mission to deliver Army 30 and design Army 2040. So as, as part of that, the, the UARC has, you know, both contractual mandated core competencies as well as genuine core competencies in the form of research for realistic sensory input, simulation, modeling individual and group behaviors, affecting behavior change in the areas of education training and um, medical health practices. So ICT exists as a partnership between the, the whole of the DOD and its army management, academia with University of Southern California and some of the efforts that they have in, in terms of either the Center for Generative AI and Society or the Frontiers of Computing Initiative, and industry, which used to mean the movie and music industry, but now is uh, reflective more of the video game industry, which is five times larger than the, the Hollywood industry. So that partnership we leverage in order to provide world-class training to soldiers, but also you know, not forgetting about our, our sailors and our airmen, and also not forgetting about all of the civilian workforce. And we have various efforts going on in civilian workforce as well. 
That's all fantastic work, and it's amazing to kind of see all this come together. And I really think the cross functionality and the diversity between those communities is what potentially gives us so much power in this space. And I really like your note, Keith, uh, about how the video game industry is really the industry we're thinking about now, not um, typically how we had th thought conventionally. And on this show especially, but also just in general in public, recently there's been a lot of talk about ChatGPT, the large language models. Uh, you're both just discussing generative AI and standing up efforts for this. What research have your organizations been really doing deeply in this area? And how do you see then the Army and really the wider DOD kind of using and leveraging these technologies in the future? In addition to the project of using a authoring by editing approach to enhance critical thinking using generative AI to sort of produce a first draft and then have students edit the draft thinking critically about it in terms of whether it's actually correct or whether the argument structure is good, and then use, tracking those edits to form the eval their evaluation on the assignment. In addition to that effort, we're also doing work uh, with the Army that is funded by the Army on a new center, the AI Research Center of Excellence for Education. And this is a big project that is going to have a number of different facets. It's a close collaboration with the Army University, and they've actually helped us in formulating some of the projects that we're going to be doing there. With regard to the generative AI piece, one of the projects we're going to be doing there is building what we're calling the Army Writing Enhancement Toolset, or AWE. And the idea is this is a set of capabilities that will help soldiers become better writers and specifically in working on the kinds of forms and reports that soldiers are asked to write that often are a bit foreign to them when they first join the, the service and you know difficult for them to, to master. So we'll be using actually some generative AI technology in the context of that along with AI-based tutoring techniques to improve their writing skills. This is gonna be an effort that will bring together AI and learning. And what we're going to be doing is both building tools that use AI to enhance education. So things like intelligent tutoring systems or personal assistance for lifelong learning that use AI to present appropriate material to people and track how they're doing and provide intelligent recommendations on what they should be doing next. But AI is sort of a pun here because also the focus of this effort is on AI as a content area. And as we know, AI is widely viewed as being one of the things that is going to help us keep ahead of our near peer adversaries. And yet in the general workforce, many people might know how to spell AI, but that's about it. There's a real need or increased AI literacy out there. And we're going to be developing AI content for folks that is partly intended for people who are going to be AI programmers, but also, and very importantly, intended for people who are going to be, for example, managing AI systems or installing AI systems or using AI systems so they understand the technology, what's behind it, and what the issues as well as the promises of AI are. 
the media has been talking a lot about large language models and generative AI capability behind them. But I really think that it's been understated by the media. I, I know that's hard to believe if, you, if you've seen that. They touch on pictures with Dali and Midjourney and others. They're starting to touch on music and uh, AI-generated musical compositions. Somewhat obviously, that's going to be movies and videos coming up here real soon. And they've also touched on a little bit on code and other forms of content. But over here on the ICT side of things, we've been using generative AI capabilities in all of our competency areas. Uh, so under realism, we have AI generated terrain features or automatic labeling items into the one world terrain systems for, for army use. As an example, you might consider the generation of geotypical terrain features. We, we use them in simulation for the generation of variety of content. We generate AI behaviors and you know, neural network training for OP4 and Blue4 within simulation. We've been doing that for a number of years now. Um, and on the learning side, we, we generate things like simulated students to test out different modeling and optimization uh, programs for training. So, you know, don't get me wrong, the pictures and movies and music and stuff that the media is touching on is really neat, but the specific uh, ChatGPT advancements should enable greatly simplified simulation generation. And we'll, I'll touch on that a little bit later in the conversation. But ICT was originally founded with this perhaps dated reference of the, the holodeck in Star Trek and the, the world where you can say something like, computer, make me a simulation where I can practice military operations within a tropical jungle region. Give me two battalions of four companies each, an accurate intelligence analysis. The enemy is on the high ground, dug in. Be prepared to evaluate three courses of action that I'll present to an overly critical colonel, address the learning items represented within my TTPs. That's coming down the corner here and has been relatively left out by media capabilities. So we're, we're making some use of quote unquote large language models, but also of the generative AI capability across a number of uh, interesting research areas, which all align towards uh, human training objectives. Yeah, that's really cool stuff. And, um, you know, it sounds like, as is the theme on this show most times, the convergence of a few of these different technologies is really what uh, makes these technologies significant. That's that's the next step forward. You know, you take ChatGPT on its own and it has some interesting things and can help you in certain ways. You take, um, you know, the image generators like Dolly and, and Midjourney and you can make some interesting things. But if you put these things together and you can add something with a little bit more fidelity or something like uh, like you were saying, they're they're on the verge of making these generative movies, add all those three things together or three or four things together and you have something that really could be, you know, earth shattering when it's all mature and available. Um, you mentioned a, a, a simulated student, I think I heard you say, in terms of training. Well, you know, Luke and I both work in the headquarters for the training in Doctrine Command, so let's talk a little bit about the future of training. What can you guys tell us about the work you've been doing on virtual humans and the research you've done for digital doubles for all soldiers? When we started the Institute, we realized that you needed to have characters to populate these simulated worlds that we were putting together. So immediately it became very important to focus on creating virtual humans, uh, characters that would look and behave and act as much as possible like real people and function autonomously. At first, we thought these would be characters that would be role players in simulations. So they'd simulate, you know, your fellow soldiers, some of the bad guys, uh, 
maybe civilians, uh, and you'd interact with all those and, and really be exposed to dilemmas that might naturally occur and learn how to handle them before you encountered them in reality. As we got more into it, we realized you could do a lot more with virtual humans. They could act as coaches. They could act as people who advise you about things. And we've incorporated, we've built lots of applications that use virtual humans in a variety of different ways like that. So it's been, it's been really interesting to see how that has expanded. The other thing that's been interesting has been to see that people respond to virtual humans in much the same way they respond to real people, but there are some key differences. And one of the key differences we found was when we built a virtual human, sort of think of as a intake nurse interviewing you about problems you might have with depression or PTSD, we found that people systematically were more willing to reveal confidential or sensitive information to a virtual human than to a real person. And it's because they don't feel like they're being judged in the same way as when they're interacting with a real person. You know, you go to the doctor and the doctor asks, have you been exercising? And you say, yes, of course, tons of exercise. But that's just because you're trying to, you know, save face. And you don't get that with the virtual humans. One of the things we've been focused on with virtual humans is uh, we really want to make this technology available broadly, make it so that other people can make use of it as well. And so we've created a virtual human toolkit that allows people to build their own virtual humans and customize them to particular applications and uh, particular purposes. It's been downloaded over 6,000 times and has been used at places like CMU and Princeton, and really allows people to integrate much more easily virtual humans into applications that they might be building. ICD has a long history of virtual human research, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that they've won uh, two Academy Awards for technical achievement in the realistic capturing and modeling techniques. This has been used to capture uh, Holocaust survivors and tell their story as part of the World War II Museum, where the most interesting part of the museum trip is getting to talk to a Holocaust survivor, and, and there are becoming less of those nowadays. That technology has then been used over on the military side at places like the Sharp Schoolhouse, where people can tell their stories and they don't have to tell the, the same story to each new class of people. And that, that experience can be scaled across the army so that the knowledge isn't lost. We make use of these technologies similarly in what Bill was saying about uh, walking into a virtual counseling office or providing leadership training in junior leaders. Uh, and we're, we're hoping to use this technology in some of the recruiting efforts to tell positive stories of experience with the Army and to have Army recruiters train on practice digital doubles prior to being deployed out into the recruiting stations. Well, I think that's really interesting, especially the amount of people that are actually utilizing it, uh, which is the most important thing. If, if we build this for soldiers, for users, and it just sits on the shelf, then we're really not accomplishing what, what we're setting out for. Um, what do you see as the next step in artificial intelligence and training? What do these areas look like really far out into 2050 more generally and really for the Army as well? So I think what we're seeing with the emergence of things like ChatGPT is that 
it has potential to be both strongly beneficial as well as carry some serious risks. And uh, one of the areas where I think it's going to be a huge benefit is in productivity. I think we'll see significant gains there in uh, individual worker productivity, both within the military as well as on the civilian sector. And that's going to be important because productivity is going to be an issue due to the fact that we have declining birth rates in all the major industrialized countries. What this raises for training is the jobs that people are going to be taking are going to change as a result of things like generative AI. It means that we need to be preparing the workforce for those jobs, and we need to be shifting our thinking about education from it being something that you do when you're a teenager or a young adult to something that you do throughout your life, because the jobs are going to be changing continuously. That's the one thing we can pretty much count on for sure. And so the technologies that we're developing for training, for having personal assistants that support lifelong learning, I think are going to be directly relevant in supporting moving towards that idea of continuous lifelong learning. There was a lot of uh, ink spilled on what was a 21st century skill and how we were going to train 21st century skills in the 21st century. And OECD made a list of 21st century skills, uh, critical thinking, problem solving, creativity, teamwork, collaboration, leadership, initiative, oral and written communications. You know, those are skills that the Army has been teaching for all of its history. And indeed, most nations, uh, the, the basic problem behind building a pyramid is decomposing a technical task into its base parts, working with people in technology to accomplish each part. The, the high level goals have not changed. So that said, the method of instruction certainly has. Uh, we, we no longer learn from clay tablets. We, we moved on to books. <laughs> we moved from books to YouTube. And in the future, it'll look more like computer-generated, customized learning paths, tested first on simulated students with learning content made on demand, customized towards each learner and their history and their goals. And we're working on those technologies, but the basic education behind the Army, you know, all, all, all that everything I have that the Army will still be teaching leadership in 2050, uh, just the methods of instruction will differ. No, I think both your answers make a lot of sense in terms of what's enduring, what's changing in the future. But I really like as well your point, Bill, um, a big fan myself of uh, lifelong training and learning and, and the need to adapt. And I think this dynamic, always changing uh, environment or information environment is going to force us to do that. So we're going to transition. This has been an amazing interview and we can honestly talk to you guys forever, uh, but we're going to transition over over to our rapid fire questions. Uh, we give these to all our guests and it really helps tell our audience a little more about the people that we're talking to. Uh, so we'll, we'll go in the same uh, order that we've done with Bill first and then Keith. What technology or trend keeps you up at night? I think the thing that keeps me up at night most is this whole issue of how we can make sure that the new technologies that are coming out are uh, being used for good and that the appropriate safeguards are put in place to make sure that bad things don't happen. You know, as I was saying earlier, generative AI has a significant potential to increase productivity. And that can be 
productivity for good guys. It can also be productivity for bad guys. And we have to make sure that we put in place the right regulations and so forth that help control that. And I'm I'm heartened by the fact that now at the federal government level, there's a lot of interest in trying to really understand this and put the appropriate safeguards in place uh, or begin to make progress on that. And I think that's absolutely essential. Every other industry we have that involves using dangerous things like airplanes or medicine or, you know, is actually federally regulated. And, and that's for a very good reason. It, it evens the playing field and it also helps assure the public that they have safeguards against bad things happening. There's an old internet phrase that uh, a picture is proof of ability to produce a picture. Uh, and and when I first heard that phrase, they meant Photoshop, but, but not soon. Now, it, it means everything that you don't see with your own eyes could be generated. And the, there should be a healthy amount of skepticism applied to everything that you see. And I'm concerned that everybody from the, the junior enlisted to the most senior officials generally apply an inadequate amount of skepticism to the things that they see. No, I think that makes a ton of sense uh, on both ends for both of you. And we just talked, uh, Matt and I, with uh, our interviewed chat GPT, Chatty Cathy, um, and we talked about the, the potential issues with first mover advantage when it comes to misinformation and um, people really kind of just believing these things in this rapid consumption. So what's something about you that you're willing to share on air that most people might not know. So when I was in high school, I was torn between whether I wanted to become a filmmaker or a computer scientist. And I made some films in high school, uh, won a, you know, a couple of little local area awards for the for them, and uh, was really uh, you know, very intrigued by that whole possibility, but ultimately decided to go into computer science. That was, I think, where my heart was really at. And the, the funny thing is, back then, you know, when I was in high school, those seemed like very disparate choices. You, one, they didn't really relate much at all. The funny thing is, since joining the ICT, now those two fields have come back together again because there's so much use of computer technology in modern films for all the computer graphics and so forth. So it's, it's really kind of amazing to see something that I thought I was going to be, you know, leaving behind come back together uh, in my life later on. I'll trade you, Bill, right? So, so on, the, on the other side of performance, there's, a, there's another life unlived where, where I become a performer, right? That I, I've always been keen to, to juggle or use Diablo or handstand or do koi or other physical performance arts. And I, in, in a meeting, you'll regularly see me twirling pens or otherwise fidgeting. That, that's, a, that's an artifact from the unlived life. I uh, I share in that. I always wanted to be an actor, and uh, that just never panned out. So we'll all, uh, we'll all get together and somehow leverage our our uh, missed out on dreams. And Matt can be our um, our drummer slash pro baseball player. Um, so <laughs> so uh, finally, our last question. Uh, we get told a lot of times it's our most challenging question. Uh, just to narrow it down, what is your favorite movie? So for me. Uh, my favorite movie is Dr. Zhivago. I thought, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, an old, it's an old movie, but I think it actually endures. And what to me was so amazing about that movie was just the epic scope uh, of the movie and the ability to 
really get across on the screen the whole Russian landscape and environment and uh, create, uh, I thought, you know, the director, David Lean, did an amazing job of creating a very immersive experience. Mine is Princess Bride. <laughs> As I, I think it's one of the best movies ever made, but uh, I'll give an honorable mention to to Ender's Game because that, that was one of my favorite original sci-fi books as a kid. And as part of a full circle story, uh, it deals with military simulation. ICT contributed to its uh, production directly uh, in the form of technology, and it's, it's on the wall here behind me. Uh, so, uh, while not my favorite movie, that, that has less to do with the movie than it, than it has to do with the concept. I am a very big fan of Princess Bride, and every time my kids are homesick from school, I make them watch it uh, because I think it's appropriate. Um, but thank you both, gentlemen. It was, it was really fantastic. Uh, we're big fans of the work being done. Uh, happy to have collaborated in the past with USC ICT um, and really just see a lot of fantastic things happening. Really thank you both. Uh, I know you're very busy and appreciate the time being made. Thank you. Thank you. This was great. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Keith Bronner and Dr. Bill Swartout. You can connect with MadSci through Twitter at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating or review on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you accessed it. This feedback helps improve future episodes of The Convergence and allows us to reach a bigger and broader audience.